Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 15, you shall not steal. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance to be in worship today. What a privilege it is uh, to know you are with us, to know that uh, you have never uh, been silent. You have spoken into our world in such a way that we can know uh, that you are real, that you are true, you are who you say you are, uh, and you have given us here your word. God, as your law was given to the, to the Israelites thousands of years ago, uh, God, we pray that same law uh, would point us to you, but in a fresh way, in light of what Christ has accomplished for us. God, may we see uh, the goodness, the truth, the love that we have um, in you, and all that you've done, all that you've accomplished. And God, may your word transform our lives by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I was in uh, seventh grade, there was a, a kid who uh, was on our football team who lost, <clears throat> lost his wallet one day. He came back in the locker room uh, after he'd, he'd gone out and he said, hey, you know, hey, guys, have you seen my wallet? I, I just had it. I think I dropped it in here. And uh, all the guys on our team, you know, said, you know, nobody, nobody had seen it, nobody had seen it, but you could tell, you know, the way people were talking, they were, they were suspicious, right? And so he leaves and, uh, and gets in his car, you know, just kind of goes home. Uh, apparently what happened, though, when he got to his car, he was telling his mom about this, and his mom was pretty upset. Uh, she, you know, there was probably some money in his wallet, not, probably, hopefully not much at seventh grade, I don't know. But he also had some kind of medical information in his wallet, and so his mom was just really mad. The way he described it, I mean, there's no other way that the wallet could have gone missing other than somebody took it. Like, it had to be right there. He could have dropped it, but it had to be right there in the locker room. And so the mom calls up to the school either that night or first thing in the morning. And by second block uh, of the next day, whoever she'd got to hold to in administration, they had done all their homework, they had done their investigation, and they knew pretty sure who had the wallet. And so sure enough, after the second period, the guidance, con <clears throat> the guidance counselor walked right up to me and said, Philip, do you have Preston's wallet? I said, oh, yeah, it's right here. And she said, come with me. So I was escorted to the principal's office and sat down and they had already gathered a few other people that were all witnesses at this event, and they each handed us a yellow legal pad. I can remember this very well. And, uh, and they told us to write out a, you know, our account of what happened about the wallet. And so everybody had to do that so they could kind of corroborate all the resources, the witnesses. And um, so I was sent from there to go up here before the Honor Council, which at our school was made up of these really intimidating seniors in high school. And I had to sit before them and give them, you know, the story. And they uh, gave me the punishment that they thought was appropriate, which was two days of in-school suspension. And so I served that dutifully. And so uh, just in case you're, you're, you know, like, oh, who, who was this guy? You know, who was this pastor back in middle school? I had the same reputation I basically do now. It was just as strange uh, for that, for, for back then as it would be if that happened today. I had a reputation of being a good kid, never got in trouble, never did anything wrong, you know, at least not that, you know, the school knew about. And, uh, you know, this was, this was very strange. And it was very much a, a, a shocking uh, thing for me to learn about the importance of stealing. <clears throat> the backstory on that a little bit is that uh, he had, yes, dropped his wallet on his way out of the locker room and some other guys picked it up and they were joking about how, you know, Preston just dropped this, whatever. And uh, so I was standing next to him and we hear him coming back in and so I, I thought it would be funny. I grabbed it, put it in the top of my back pocket where it was sticking out, 
and leaned over to pick up something in front of him and said, Preston, I, I haven't seen your wallet. Well, all the while, it's like right there in front of him. And everybody in the room is laughing because everybody sees exactly what I was doing. I was showing him his wallet, but he didn't see it. He left, but I had, didn't have all my stuff together, so I, I had to put it in my bag. I walk out there with in, my, in my hand to go give it to him at, at the car line, but he had already left. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just give it to him tomorrow at school. So I put it in my backpack. I didn't even open it. I, I had no idea what was in the wallet. I had no intention of stealing this kid's wallet. I had, no, I had no desire to steal something from him. I had no need for it. All that didn't mean anything to the honor council or my principal. In their minds, there was a wallet. I had it. Didn't belong to me. Should have belonged to him. So I got two days of in-school suspension. So I now know how important the Eighth Commandment is. Thou, thou shalt not steal. We, uh, you know, I, I don't know what... Uh, Maybe that was scarring me and just you know, spared me from making some other bad decision later in life. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But today we come to that eighth commandment, you shall not steal. And similar to the, the sixth commandment against murder, everybody realizes this is, a, this is a good law to have. Everybody realizes there should have to be a law against murder. There should be a law against stealing. This is what makes society work as, 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 as a civilized group. We should have laws that protect each individual person's you know, life and uh, our property. And yet... In big ways or small ways, we may be tempted to break this command, aren't we? You may not think much, maybe, maybe this isn't a major temptation to you, but next time you stay in a hotel room, it's probably fine if you take the, you know, one bottle of shampoo out of your hotel office, I mean, hotel, you know, bathroom. But taking tin from the, from the uh, lady's cart out in the hallway is probably not, not a good idea. Also, if you take a towel or a, you know, bathrobe or something, that was probably not meant to be complimentary. Uh, what about at, the, at work? Are there things and resources, opportunities you have to just take a little things here, there, and the otherwise? We may think, hey, it's not a big deal. It's not, not, doesn't, is this really what's going on here? But might that actually be a way that we're, we're committing, uh, breaking this command? Surely God had bigger things in mind, though. Surely he was worried about stealing people's oxes or camels or whatever else they had back then. He's not worried about you stealing a few staples or a stapler, right? Well, when we come to this command, we think about how stealing might show up in our lives. It, it's helpful for us to kind of back up uh, like we have with all of these and ask about God's intention. Why, why would he give these things? I mean, he's just doing 10, top 10 here. Why would this make the list? Uh, I think our commitment to keeping this command boils down to our character, boils down to the kind of person we are going to be. Are we going to be the kind of people who puts our, prioritizes things based around what's best for us. And so, hey, if, it's, if, it, if I can get away with it or it's not going to really hurt anybody, then, then what, what's the harm in it? Are we going to prioritize it around us or we're going to do what's right even when we could get away with it? This comes down to our character. Who, who are we? There may be some big ways that people break this command. People still steal cars and stuff. But even down to the small ways, it comes down to, to who we are big or small, stealing is stealing, a thief is a thief. And so here, here's my first invitation to you when we think about keeping the Eighth Commandment. Choose integrity over selfishness. Choose integrity over selfishness. Choosing to be honest and to respect others' possessions, even when you could get away with it, says something about the kind of person you are. Says, about, says something about who you are as a person. We, uh, we use something called the New City Catechism with our, our kids. I appreciate the way they define so many things, uh, key truths in the Bible. This is how they explain the Eighth Command. They say uh, that we sh do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else. We do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else. Some stealing is taking without permission something that wasn't yours, somebody else's, 
Big or small, cheap or expensive, harmful or harmless, stealing is taking something without permission. And that is highly offensive to God because of his character. Consider, as we have with so many of these, what this command tells us about the character, about the nature of God. A God who warns against stealing is a God who values honoring other people, respecting other people. Whether it's big or small, what we're saying, what he's saying in his word is that when we honor somebody else's possessions, we are honoring God. God's, God, uh, a God who's against theft is the God who says the ends don't justify the means. God doesn't look at us and say, Who, whoever has the most toys at the end of life wins. Doesn't matter how you got there, right? God cares about how we do things, about how we get the things that belong to us, that we have now. Did we come by them honestly or did we take them from somebody else? How did you get the things that you have? God, a God who values possessions, a God who values honoring the way we treat other people's possessions is the same God who values work and hard work. Thinking back to creation, God's plan from the very beginning in Genesis 1, the work you do, work by itself, is a good thing. It was there before the fall, before sin. You don't have to work just because of sin in the world. Work was good from the beginning. Genesis 2.15, so before Genesis 3, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. He had good work to do that would produce fruit, in that case very literally, but he produced good things. His, the work of his hands was supposed to accomplish something, and then he would enjoy the fruits of his labor, that Adam and Eve would work together, and their work would produce something that, that would sustain them, and they would eat and enjoy and be able to provide for one another. And that, even with the, the toil of our world today and our broken world, is how you're meant to have your needs met. Hard work, working diligently, providing for you and for your family, that's how you meet needs, not stealing from somebody else's hard work. How you get to the toys you have, how you get to the possessions you own, what you, where your resources come from matters to God. A God who honors, tells us not to steal, is a God who's committed to hard work, a God who's committed to coming by what we come by honestly. We've said here with these last few commands, after we got to, the, to what we called the hinge of the fifth commandment about honoring our parents, that commands six through ten are all about loving our neighbor, about loving our neighbor. The first four about loving God, these are about loving our neighbor. And the very first sibling group, Cain, we pointed this out two weeks ago, Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? He was assuming the answer was no, but the answer was yes. Yes, he is his brother's keeper. And he did not keep his brother, he did not love his brother, because he murdered his brother. But murdering is not the only way that we can go against being our brother's keeper. If we are stealing from our brother, we are also not loving our brother, not loving our neighbor. Stealing goes against God's nature because he values honesty, he values relationships, he values hard work. And if we are stealing, we are breaking all of those things. It goes against his design for how we provide for ourselves. It goes against his design for our relationships. Uh, our society has progressed technologically, you know, so, so rapidly. And so that with that progression has, become, has come all kinds of different creative ways to steal today, right? Like the old school ways are, are still, of course, uh, an option to somebody who wants to be uh, a theft. Uh, but if you, so if you leave a wallet unattended or a jacket at a, at a park, or if you leave your keys unlocked in your car, uh, somebody might physically just take that thing. That is a, a form of stealing. But with the invention of telephone came the un fortunate invention of people who want to call you with a, some kind of scam. And that goes on all the time, does it not? 
The invention of the tool of the internet made all kinds of creative ways that thieves can come and try to hack all of our stuff and try to commit fraud in any countless number of ways, getting your identity, getting your credit card, uh, using it to open up a PayPal account you didn't know about for a whole year and draw all kinds of debt and send your credit score into the dump. And you're like, well, how did that come from? Hypothetically, that's what I hear happens to people. Um, people, from all, people can come up with all kinds of ways to steal stuff. But a creative thief is still a thief. We don't have to just take a material thing to be a, uh, to be a thief. It's tax season. Taxes can be complicated. Taxes are confusing to everybody except for whoever it's not confusing to. I don't know who those people are, but it's confusing to me. And it can be, I'm sure if you're creative enough, I, I'm, I'm probably not, not smart enough, but I'm sure if you're creative enough, you could find ways to, to fudge numbers here and there to save yourself uh, some money illegally, to, to take money away that's supposed to go uh, in taxes. Uh, I, I read that in one place, people are more likely to steal if they can't see it hurting somebody. If they can say, oh, this won't hurt anybody, or, or it's just a big corporation, it's not anybody individual, or if it's just the government, then it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But stealing is stealing, whether it's a towel or taxes or stapler or whatever else it may be, whether it's a person you know or a person you don't know. You, you wouldn't steal a towel from your friend's house, I hope. You wouldn't take it, don't take it from the, from the hotel either. But just because they can afford to replace it doesn't change the action. doesn't change the action. Because what this says is about the kind of person we are. It talks about who your, your actions display your own heart. Display the, display the kind of person you are. Which is why we're saying choose integrity over selfishness. Choose integrity over selfishness. So often we can't see the, the direct impact of our decisions, and so we're tempted to make the wrong ones. But when we come to a decision, when we come to how we're going to act, what we're asking is less about how this, I mean, that we should ask that too, about how this impacts others. But we also say, what does this say about me? Who, who am I? What kind of person am I if these are the decisions I'm going to make? We should come up to things that have consequences. One of the consequences we don't always factor in the equation is, what does my decisions, what, how is that shaping my heart? How is it shaping the person I am growing to be? If I'm willing to fudge here, where else am I likely to fudge? I remember Amber, when she had a, uh, an honor council case at Wofford when she was teaching, uh, she had to report a student for something he did. And, and I remember we were, we were having the conversation about how important that, that system, you know, I had a bad experience with honor council, as I told you about, so I was kind of iffy about this, but, but it was, it was smart. Because if you, if you leave a student and say, hey, if you'll cheat on a Spanish test as a freshman in college, where else are you going to go? What, what, what trajectory is your life on? If we don't, if we don't say, hey, this, this isn't okay, if we don't raise the flag here, if you can get away with that, what else are you going to get away with? So many times in life we think, hey, this doesn't really matter. But it says something about who we are. It says something about our character and our nature. If we'll take something one place, we might take it somewhere else. We're a thief, not a person of integrity. One more common area I think of uh, that we may be tempted to, to steal is stealing time, stealing time. And this is probably the most directly applicable if you work as an hourly worker, if your time is literally what you're getting paid for, then there may be a temptation to, to not use your time for what you're supposed to be using it for. And you're still getting paid, so you're stealing that time. But I, I think that applies even beyond just if you're literally getting paid a certain amount for the amount of time that you're there. It's not just for hourly employees, but for all of us, I, I wrestle with this. I want to use my time. I don't want to steal time from God, especially my work time, time that I'm, I'm doing pastoral things. Literally, my, my boss is God. <laughs> I have this like, overwhelming sense of, I better use my time well. And I, I don't, sometimes I'm, 
I don't feel like I do that. I don't want to, I don't want to steal time from God. But that's not just true for pastors. That's true for all of us. All time belongs to God. Your time and my time. God's all of our bosses. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Even if you got earthly bosses, God is in charge of you and your time and your work. Let's not steal from God. Let's honor God. Let's work hard. Let's work diligently. Let's be mindful of the way we use our time so that we're not stealing. We're continuing to be a person of character, a person of integrity, not just out for our own selfish gain. God's design for, for meaningful work in creation was his call and his call for us to, to love our neighbor. That's the foundation for this command, the command against stealing. And of course, we don't do that. We, we don't honor the way God intended for us to work. We don't work as diligently as we should, or we overwork and we steal time from our family, or we steal time from God as we talked about in the Sabbath, or we steal whatever else. We can come up with all kinds of ways to continue in our selfishness instead of being a person of godly integrity. And that's why we needed a Savior, didn't we? That's why we needed Christ to come. Doesn't matter who you are, we all have broken these commands, and we all needed somebody to come and rescue us from it. We could not keep the commands well enough to make us good enough for God. And for everyone who has put their faith in Jesus, we have a, an extra motivation, an extra clear reason for obeying these commands. Our obedience is not what earned us God's favor, is it? God didn't look at the, the, all of humanity and say, well, at least, or not, not everybody, just this group of people, they're doing so good. As a reward, I'm going to send my son Jesus to hang out with him. No, that's not what happened. He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our disobedience. And he sent his son to rescue us from it. And he, when he sent Jesus, how, how did he send his son? What, what did he come to do? Did he come to, to steal back all the things that we had, we had stolen from God? Did he come to, to steal fame and glory? Did he come to steal earthly treasures from all the people who had the wealth on earth and build an earthly kingdom? No, Jesus didn't come to take anything. He came to give. He came to give. If you're a Christian, meaning God has changed your heart, he's brought you to a, a saving knowledge of him, you've put your faith in him, you trust in Jesus for your salvation, then what you've experienced is a remarkable act of generosity. A remarkable act of generosity. And that's the opposite of stealing, isn't it? Stealing is the thing that's prohibited in the eighth command, but as we've seen in each of these, God is after our hearts, and God is after more than just not doing bad things. God is transforming us and shaping us to be like Christ, which means He is calling us to be people who imitate Christ. So if you're a Christian, here's the, the deeper motivation and the deeper goal for us in our obedience to this command. In gratitude to Christ, be generous, not greedy. In gratitude to Christ, be generous and not greedy. As followers of Christ, we've experienced the love of a Savior who did not come to earth to just take, take, take. He came to earth with open hands to give and to give lavishly. Have you considered how generous Christ was? Have you considered how generous Jesus was during his time here on earth. The fact that he came at all was generous. We did not deserve God to come and speak to us again. He had spoken by the prophets. He had given us so many warning signs, so many things that we, we had enough. And yet he generously went above and beyond everything he had communicated before in sending his own son. That, however Jesus decided to come, would have been a very generous thing for God to do. 
But he didn't just come in any way. He didn't come just as a remote ivy, ivory tower academic who just gave out wisdom you know, for people to hear. He didn't come as a, a remote uh, royal king who just stayed in the castle for, for people to admire from a distance. He came in a stable. He came as the son of a carpenter. He came to be an everyman, somebody we could relate to, somebody we could know and understand what he's like. What do you think about Jesus' miracles? What were they? They were acts of incredible generosity. He fed the hungry. He, he gave sight to the blind. He healed the lame. He brought good things to people, generous gifts to people. And his greatest act of generosity was giving up his own life. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man, Jesus said, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus wasn't a thief. Jesus didn't take things from people. He wasn't there to steal and he wasn't just neutral. He wasn't just not a thief. He was generous. He was gracious. He was abundantly generous. John 10, 10, Jesus, love this chapter. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you hear the difference there? He's talking about Satan. How does he describe Satan? He's the thief. He is one who takes stuff from people. And what does he take? He comes to kill. He comes to take life. He comes to take away joy. He comes to take away our freedom. He comes to bind us in our sin. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes to give, to give life and life abundantly. God wants your joy. God wants you to pursue what ultimately makes you happy. God wants to give you the fullness of life. He's not there to take. He's here to give so you can experience true life in Him. And you know what happens? We always obey our Father. You remember a place in the Gospels where Jesus tells the Pharisees, you're acting, they're acting like their father. Not their father Abraham, but their father Satan. We will be a, a thief like Satan, if that's who we follow, or we will be generous like Christ when we follow him. We always act like our father. We're either going to be gracious in giving or we're going to be taking. What, what does that generosity look like? What does Jesus give to us? Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 speaks of the, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Do you hear all those abundance words? Riches of grace that he lavished on us, which is the forgiveness of your sins. You know the greatest gift you've received? That you don't have to die for your sins. That is the greatest gift you could have ever received. Amen. You don't have to die for the things that you've done wrong. And I don't either. That is a gift. That is generosity. That's not just Jesus not stealing from you. He is giving you something incredibly generous. Salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. God is incredibly generous. And if you're a Christian, do you, do you know the lavishness of those graces? The lavishness of His gifts? We have an inheritance that's waiting for us. Uh, Hebrews 9.15 says, therefore, speaking of Jesus, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Similar, 1 Peter 1 According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you know how rich you are if you believe in Jesus? Do you have any idea the lavish riches that are in your name if you have put your faith in Christ? There is, there is no amount of earthly wealth no amount of fancy cars or fancy real estate possessions on this earth could ever match up to what's awaiting you in heaven. 
that you get to be with God. You get to have an eternal relationship with God. If that was it, and there's all kinds of other things that are the way the Bible describes heaven, but the, the ultimate thing, the greatest thing, you, you get to know God. You are the richest person ever, if that is true of you. If you know Him, that you have, you have way more riches, way more riches than any Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett in the world. You know Christ. You have an eternal inheritance. There is no greater riches than that. And if that's true, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with all those riches? What are you going to do with all that wealth that God has given you? Well, in Christ, if we're grateful, we'll be generous with it, not greedy. In, in gratitude to Christ, be generous, not greedy. If you can see all that you have, if you can see what you truly have in God, then you, you'll be eager, eager to give it, eager to give it, knowing you're not going to run out. You're not going to run out. God has... God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns every star in the galaxy. He has graciously given you a relationship with Him. You're not going to run out. Graciously, generously give. The problem is, of course, that, that greed comes a lot more naturally than generosity. It's a lot easier to be a hoarder, to be, to be a stockpiler, to just keep it all to ourselves. And the culture around us is far more greedy than it is generous. We live, the air we breathe, the, the water we swim in, so to speak, is a very greedy, very selfish world. Our society is supportive of, of, of token generosity, right? Like the, we appreciate when people do something that, you know, seems very generous and they get, you know, recognized for it, pat on the back. It's some kind of token generosity. The culture appreciates that. But on the whole, it's about making sure you got enough, making sure you can keep enough in here. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what life around us talks about. Rare, rarely would somebody call themselves greedy, but if we consider uh, as Christ, Christ's standard for generosity, we'd be slow to Call ourselves generous. Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure in life? What are you investing in? Where, where are you putting your resources so that you can get a, a, a return from it? What's the return on your investment that you're looking for? Are you investing in things that will pass away? Are you investing in things that may have a really long warranty on this earth, but in eternity's spectrum, it's tiny? Are you investing in the things of the kingdom of God? Are you investing in life? Are you investing in people? What about relationships? Are you building relationships, meaningful, deep relationships? Are you making disciples? That's an internal investment. Are you reaching the nations? Are you raising children in the Lord? Are you working in, to overcome your addictions and helping other people overcome addictions? Are you helping people who are in need? Are you finding, looking out for people who are hopeless and pointing them to hope that they have in the Lord? Are you looking for those who are in despair and seeking to point them to our source of eternal joy? Are you making investments in things that are eternal? Are you putting your money, your investments, your resources, your time, your energy into things that are just passing away? When it comes to being generous, our, our first thought is, well, I don't, I don't have enough to give. I, I, don't have, I don't really have much. Let's see all these people around me. They've got a lot more. They need to give. I'll just be okay, you know? But remember who Jesus was most excited about celebrating? The woman who had two couple copper coins that were worth a penny. He celebrated her. He celebrated her. 
Sometimes we'll be quick to note that we, we can give more than just money, and that we should, we should note that. But sometimes we are quick to do that so that we can weasel our way out of giving money. Like, oh, I'll just give my time, you know, instead of money. How about both? How about both? We give, we want to be generous with anything we have. Time, money, resources, expertise. If you're really good at something and somebody could pay you a lot of money to continue to do that thing, what would it look like for you to be generous, to give that, that expertise away? In gratitude to Christ, be generous, not greedy. What does it look like for you? It's different for every person in the room. What does it look like for you to look at what you've been given, all that you've been given, and be a person of character, a person of generosity, a person who's willing to give, seeking to give, not to take away. In Jen Wilkins' book on this, this Ten Commandments study, she had just one little line that got me thinking. And so I'll I tell you what, what I want to be, the way I want to think about what I've been given is that I want to be an Amazon distribution center. I don't want to be a self-storage unit. That's what I want to be. You know how, you know how like, I, I, don't, I don't have lavish riches, <laughs> like, you know, hey, that's what I do, who I am. But you know what I do have? I've got two cars and a house. And it, it doesn't matter what the kind of cars or what kind of house it is, that puts me like globally in like the very top tier. Okay, so there's material things. But even more than that, I know Jesus. I, I know, I, I've talked to him today. I, I, I know the Lord. I, I know his word. I want to know it a lot better, but I know God. I, I have a relationship with him. I, I, I have been given so many good things. So you know what I want to be? I want to be the person that when I get good things, good things are being sent out. I want to be a distribution center, not a storage unit. I, I looked up Amazon's biggest distribution center. They're, they're building one in Colorado Springs that'll have 4 million square feet when it's completed. Honestly, that's such a big number, I don't even know how big that is. It's just really, really big. Like, I know a big house is like 2,500 square feet, so I don't know how big 4 million is, but that's a really big place, really big. But you know what Amazon's not doing? They're not taking that four million square feet and just piling up. Yep, I got one more pile of stuff. Oh, I got another pile of stuff. Hey, we're doing good. We're filling it all with stuff. There is a lot of stuff that's going to go in there. But you know why it comes in there? So I can turn around and go right back out. That's what they're doing. They're not hoarding. They're not collecting. They are distributing. Because Amazon knows they're not really owners. They're just passing it along. And when it comes to our wealth, your wealth, I know your bank account has your name on it. I know your mortgage has your name on it. I know your, your car title has your name on it. But I, let me tell you something. It doesn't really belong to you. It all belongs to God. Everything you have, not just a percentage belongs to God. Everything. God owns everything. You and I, we are just stewards. We are temporary owners, temporary managers, not owners, temporary managers of things of this earth. And God has given them to you as a blessing, as a joy for you to enjoy and provide and care for people, but also to bless others, to be used for His kingdom and for His glory. That, that's what I want to be. I want to be a distribution center. Yeah, okay, God, if you want to send something to me, that's great. I want to use it for your glory. You know what's the opposite of that? It's those self-storage units. And, and we, well, I had one as a kid, so I'm not throwing rocks at anybody, but uh, I looked into this. 10% of households owned a self-storage unit in January of 2021 in the United States. That was over 49,000 storage units. And here's another big number that doesn't really mean anything to me. But apparently, all those storage units together, there, there were, uh, for rent in the United States, 1.9 billion square feet of self-storage units. <laughs> I don't know how big that number is. It's a lot, a lot of square feet. A lot of square feet. That's apparently more than all of Amazon's warehouses together. That people can just store their own stuff. You know what stuff, when it goes into a self-storage unit, you know what it's there for? Just to stay there just to hold on to it, 
Just one more thing, one more, I got, got to have a little more room for my stuff. You know what's not being done? It's not, it's not a distribution center. It's not being sent through. It's just hanging out. It's just hanging out. When you consider your life, your resources, your time, your energy, your money, are you a storage unit? Is it just coming there to just collect dust and just hang out? Or is it on its way to somewhere else? Is it being distributed to somewhere else? In the, the book by Kevin DeYoung that some of us are reading on the Ten Commandments, uh, he quoted a guy named R. Kent Hughes said, who said this, Every time I give, I declare that money doesn't control me. That's good. Every time I give, this does not control me. He continued, he was warning about, about making money our God, deifying, making, God, making money a deity, uh, something we worshipped. And he said, perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. De-deification. It's not going to be my God. I refuse to let this possession own me, and the best way I know how to do that is to give it away. Give it away. John Wesley was a preacher in England. He became the founder of the Methodist movement that went on to become the Methodist church. And uh, he, he was famous for dedicating, later on the biographers noted this, uh, he had made notes in his journal. He was dedicated to setting a cap, a personal cap on his living expenses. And he said, this is how much I'm going to live on. If more comes in than that, I'm going to give it away. Whether it's two pounds or a hundred pounds in British currency, he's going to give it away. And that was his commitment throughout his life. He said, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. Randy Alcorn quoted that in a, a book called uh, Treasure Principle. And he commented that so often our strategy with possessions is to hoard, right? Put it in the self-storage unit, to, to build up, get as many toys. Who, he who dies with most toys wins. That's kind of our general philosophy in the American culture. But Randy Alcorn said, what if we approach life differently? Instead of that game, why don't we play life like the, the card game Uno or Rummy? where the goal is to get rid of all your cards. The goal is to end life where you've, you've put it all out there, right? What if, that was our, what if that's our goal? Instead, what if, like in, like in Rummy, you get penalized if you get to the end of life and you're holding, end of the game and you're holding too many cards? He says, what if our goal is to invest it in kingdom things, to do good things with it and don't get stuck with it in the end? In gratitude to Christ, be generous. Be generous, not greedy. And we are far, far too greedy. The good news of the gospel, though, is that even when we see our sin, we see our greed, it's like God loves us right there. He loves us right there. He loves greedy people, and He wants to transform greedy people. He wants to see us in our sin. He sees us in our sin. He wants us to be transformed from our sin. He sees our greed and our selfishness, and He wants to turn us back to Him. And the way that we can be reminded of God's love, His kindness, His grace toward even the, the, the most greedy among us is to think back about how Jesus treated one group of thieves. Perhaps you remember that when Jesus was crucified, he was not crucified alone. He was crucified between two other people. And do you know why they were there? They were thieves. They were thieves. Matthew 27, 38, and then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. They were thieves. They were robbers. They may have done more than that. Maybe they started an insurrection or something. But the way the Bible describes them is they were thieves. We read in Luke 23 about a connection, about, about the conversation that they had with Jesus up on the cross. One of the criminals, this is uh, Luke 23, 39, one of the criminals who were hanging railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us also. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, has done nothing wrong. 
And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was just such a simple expression of faith. In his final hour, he saw Jesus' character, that this is a man that is inheriting a kingdom. He's innocent and he's inheriting the kingdom. His identity and what he's accomplishing. And the thief recognized if he prayed to that Jesus, if he asked that Jesus for salvation, he could give it. He could give it. So Jesus saw his faith and said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus' generosity was extending an offer to a man who was greedy. He was a sinner. He was a rebel. He was a thief. And in his final moment, he turned and asked for forgiveness. In the sense here, he says, I, I see who you are, Jesus, and I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And Jesus said, yes, yes. Have you ever noticed that there were actually three thieves sentenced to die that day? There were actually three robbers, not just two. We don't know the name of the other two, but we know the name of the third. His name was Barabbas. Jesus was arrested on a Thursday night and tried in a very unjust court system Thursday night into Friday morning. And when it came up for, uh, for Jesus' sentence, they sentenced him to crucifixion. But Pilate wanted to honor the tradition of the, the Passover to let one of the Jewish prisoners go free. He even suggested that Jesus would be that person. And yet the crowd chose a man named Barabbas. And we read in John 18, 40, that cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. John 18, 40 says, Now Barabbas was a robber. He too was a thief. You see, the thief on the cross was not the only thief who got the gift of life that day. A man named Barabbas also got the, the gift of life. He was a robber. He was a thief. He was a sinner. He was greedy. And Jesus gave him life. And he did so by dying in his place. We don't know exactly how this all worked out, but apparently there was a crucifixion planned for that, that day, that Friday. And there were three crosses that were prepared. And one of those was prepared for a name, man named Barabbas. And Jesus went in his place. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That you and I deserve to be on the cross. Whether our sin is a, uh, being a thief like Barabbas or just desiring that in our heart, Whatever other sins we want, we deserve. Are the wages of our sin is death. And Jesus has promised us, promised us paradise. He has given us life, just like he gave to Barabbas, just like he gave to the thief next to him, because he is our Savior. That's good news for you and me who are thieves like him. Thieves can have life because of Christ's death. Thieves can have life because of Christ's death. His death is the only way we can have life in him. Eternal life, a free gift, grace given to us. And how much blessing that is to us. We have received more than anybody else could ever imagine. We have been lavished with grace, lavished generously with the gift of eternal life, an eternal inheritance. And if you believe in that, you are incredibly rich. So you have an opportunity to be generous. If you know Jesus, in gratitude to Christ, be generous, not greedy. Let's pray. Father, we are very aware of ways that we fall short of your kingdom. God, these commands uh, are so convicting as we consider how they were truly meant to be obeyed. As we look to Jesus' life and see the one who obeyed the law perfectly, God, we see the ways that we don't measure up to that at all. God, we're nowhere close to keeping these commands. And so, God, we come to your word humble, 
and dependent on your grace. We come to you thankful for what Christ has given us. God, that he gave new life to us, though we deserved to be up on that cross next to him. God, thank you for your love for sinners like us. And God, we pray that that love would be received by people here today, that we would hear your love, we'd receive that love, we'd, we'd have open arms, we'd recognize the way you see us as your children, loved by you. And God, we pray that that love would transform us, especially as it relates to all the stuff we have. God, that we would be generous and not greedy. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.